I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, y'all. The Sports Renaissance Man, VFL, and Atlanta Sports Guy, Chase Thomas, here to first say thank you for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As our awesome loyal subscribers know, Every Thursday and every Monday during the college football season, Matt Green and I talk all things, you guessed it, college football. Fellow University of North Georgia alumni Matt Green and myself bring a different kind of flavor as we talk college football as a whole with Matt being the UGA fan and me being the University of Tennessee fan. A pod divided, if you will, as we cover college football as a whole, all the news and rumors each and every week. We make our weekly predictions and picks and recap what happened the week before each and every week during the college football season. If you're new, I hope you enjoy what you hear and you'll tune back in each week for one of the staples on this very program. And remember, if you like what you hear and you have not already done so, leave us a rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Write to us at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com or visit the show's website. It's new and it's great, chasethomaspodcast.com to learn all about the wonderful cast of characters on this very show, like Matt, who joins myself each and every week along with, you guessed it, a wonderful cast of characters all over this very show each and every week. Check it out today. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything school HQ down there in Tequila, Georgia, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green is here. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. I am, uh, I'm doing well. I, this has been a, a great week of sports, I think, um, with all the playoff baseball going on. You, you see tonight, I'm repping my my Braves World Series champion shirt. Something mm. the Philadelphia Phillies cannot say this year, sir. I've been hate-watching the Phillies for the last four or five days because I didn't really care what happened in the MLB playoffs. But I just, I, I, I didn't want them, I didn't want the Phillies to win it all. That's, that's really all I care about. So, go D-backs. 
Wow. See, the thing about the D-backs is we were talking about on the MLB show uh, earlier tonight was just the D-backs need to go back to the purple patches and the pinstripe uniforms for the World Series because the uniforms they have <laughs> now are just very forgettable. That uh, Arizona red just doesn't work. It's just really boring. The charcoal uniforms, and are you got terrible. Marte and Guriel out there rocking the the purple accessories, like they are, like they are wearing those uniforms. Yeah, they might as well, because those are the goats. Those were great. Those were clean. They were cool. Bring back the expansion unis. You the last time you wore them, you were in the World Series. Bring back Womack. Bring back Steve Finley. Bring back Randy Johnson. Bring back the gang and uh, make this thing uh, make this thing <laughs> fun. Because that was uh, that was what I grew up with. I remember D back. It's weird how well I remember oh, yeah. D backs Yankees and uh, what that series was. Um, For sure, yeah, no, I remember was... T ball. We get, we were the the Diamondbacks the first year they were a team, and we were we were amped about it. Mm. Yeah, no, I was the Devil Rays once, and I remember being amped about that. I mean, the uniforms were great. Like both, uh, again, just uniform, just a crisis all across sports right now. The Devil Rays was a much cooler name and look. Now it's just boring. The Rays, it's not a whole lot of juice there. Devil Rays, the purple and the different colors and the Stingray looked a lot cooler and uh, the black aspect to it. It all looked a whole lot better. The, the It's original. interesting. The, uh, the, the Devil Rays and the Diamondbacks and the Panthers and the Jaguars, they were all that, that teal and like baby blue stuff going on there in the late 90s. And then they all just try to get boring because everyone wants to just look like each other, I guess. I'm like, no, just be, <laughs> be different. Like, it's cool that there's not a lot of purple teams. Like, it's cool that you all have some some color and some variety to your to your uh, to your uniforms. That's good. Not every team needs to be red, white, and blue, and black and red. And every it just drives me nuts. It grinds my gears, Matt Green. Grinds um, his gears. But hey, there was a great uniform matchup with the Hawks and Hornets tonight. Hornets were the throwbacks um for opening night for hawks hornets so the nba's back college football in the thick of things matt green nfl in thick of things and we had to miss uh this past week um because i was in new york uh for five days uh got to watch the tennessee volunteers at the uh, tennessee alumni bar shout out to printers alley out there in manhattan full full crowd i think i sent you some video of uh what it was like in there it was pretty bonkers i uh, got a ut alumni little thing uh, but it was uh it was a lot of fun it was a packed house it was uh unfortunately we didn't see what happened in the second half i can only assume that tennessee ran away uh <laughs> with things um in tuscaloosa and things did not go awry but hey we move on to bigger and better things like uh whether or not uh vol twitter vol message boards have uh, unearthed a banger in that whether or not uh, shane beamer was one of the recipients in south carolina uh may have gotten some help from some rogue Michigan staffers and uh, knew some of the plays mm. uh, that Tennessee was throwing out uh, on uh, last November when they got boat raced by the Gamecocks and their college ball playoff hopes were dashed in Columbia. But that's just where the like you just never know because it's a crazy week of college football. That's where Tennessee fans are right now is trying to find a way to uh, placate Shane Beamer and the South Carolina Gamecocks into this Michigan scandal. So uh, they can they can do that. But the the loss still happened. So I just uh, I refuse to to really go down those rabbit holes because season's over. It's a long time ago. We're near in a year uh, since that particular game. But uh, who knows where the <laughs> Michigan cheating rabbit hole will take us because each and every day it seems like it's taken us in a new wild direction, like a 600-page manifesto about said uh, <laughs> scandal and uh, the innovations involved. But, um, yeah, man, it was, uh, it was a wild weekend of college football and uh, 
I'm sure you have some questions uh, about uh, what happened in week eight and uh, some stuff you want to go through. And then uh, I guess whatever you can ask me about Tennessee, Alabama, if you want. Well, to. yeah, obviously we got to get to our picks and everything and every, we got to touch on the Michigan stuff going on, but yeah, I feel, I felt we, we owed it to our listeners to give a, a quick recap of last week. So um, I'll give it to you. You chime in where you, where you feel the need to, or, or, you know, th- this is, this is my biggest takeaways from the weekend. Mm. First of all, Ohio State just dominated Penn State's offense. Like it was, I I get on one soapbox that defensive holdings getting out of control. Mm. Like I feel like I saw so many plays over the weekend where a uh, big time defensive play was negated because of like a defensive holding on the opposite side of the field. That like I don't know. I felt like this scoop and score by Penn State. Like yes, D- Harrison was held on that. But it's like the pressure was there immediately. He's already getting forced out of the pocket, and then they force the fumble, like get, get the sack. Like I just don't feel like the defensive, fu- like the holding in the secondary, really affected that play, and it felt like that just totally gassed. Like Penn State was like gassed after that. Like that was the momentum changing play they needed, and also like two plays later, that that late hit they called on just a normal, just like tie up the ball carrier and kind of push him back. Like, I feel like they kind of like gave Ohio state. It's a second and goal, like the six, it was first and goal at the two. It just felt like they just kind of gave Ohio state that, that touchdown dra- uh, drive there. And that kind of killed Penn state, but Penn state was able to do absolutely nothing on offense. If you told me Sean Clifford came back and put number five, Aller's 15, right? Put number 15 on this year. I would totally believe you. Like Drew, Drew Aller looks like the exact quarterback Penn state's had every year. I felt like he was going to be that guy that put him over the edge, but he just looks average. But Ohio State defense dominant. We all talked about I talked about Penn State's defense all week, but Ohio State's defense could be the best defense in college football. Honestly, they look they look really good. Um, my next takeaway, yeah, like a third of Penn State's yards I think were on that final drive in garbage time. Um, Iowa absolutely hosed on that fair catch call, like ridiculous. Should have been like one of the moments of the weekend that that punt return for a touchdown. We saw a, a few botched fair catch calls of over the weekend that uh, we all have our opinions about, but biggest takeaway from that one, Duke beats Florida state. If, if Riley Leonard doesn't get hurt, as far as I'm concerned, I felt like they were in control of that game for, for three quarters. Like that defense looks really good. Um, but Florida state once, once Riley Leonard went out, they just, they didn't have much. So Florida state ends up pulling away late. So, um washington oklahoma and texas all escape what's his name um dillingham absolutely Mm. blew it in arizona state man like they're up seven six with like six seven minutes left like they've turned washington over four times and somehow they only have seven points they're up seven six with like seven minutes left and instead of kicking they go for it on fourth and three like go up ten to six make washington have to score a touchdown which they hadn't done to that point in the game like and then you throw the pick six and that was just basically over for arizona state like it felt like arizona state was better than washington and somehow washington escaped in that one and then texas and oklahoma obviously escaped with the with the close wins um and then north carolina upset by virginia i felt like we felt like it was going to come in, in at, at pittsburgh a couple weeks ago because this is just what north carolina does and then you're like, oh, wait, now they got Tez Walker. It's different now. It's different. I promise you it's different now. But no, it doesn't seem to be different. North Carolina just has that game where they just inexplicably don't show up and uh, and lose to Virginia. 
So, um, yeah, and then obviously, last but not least, Tennessee absolutely dominating the first half against Alabama. Like, really, I was amazed at what was happening in that first half. Joe Milton played the best he's played the entire time he's played at Tennessee. Tennessee receivers are snagging, went on one-on-one matchups. Like, the defense is getting pressure on Milrow. They were really just – and really, I thought Heupel made an awful fourth down decision in that first half when Alabama had not moved the ball on Tennessee at all. Um, they go for it like was on their 30-something yard line but didn't even pay for it because uh, Tennessee ended up getting the interception in the end zone on that one, and then they were able to drive down and get the touchdown before the half. But um, a couple of questionable fourth down. I, I thought the – the one early in the second half was a questionable fourth down, kind of because Alabama didn't have that much momentum yet. You kind of like gave them a short field, and their offense was just kind of unstoppable there in the second half. So um, it was definitely a tale of two halves in that one. Obviously, Alabama pulled away uh, in the second half, but uh, was it twenty-seven zero? I want to say in the, in the second half. Um, it was. But what was your uh, what was your biggest take of Alabama Tennessee? I mean, yeah, this uh, the fourth down calls were not good. Hypel owned uh, those. Part of it is just that, like, because we're not under center anymore across the sport, like, the tush push for some reason has not entered the college football landscape, and I don't know why, um, especially when you have a quarterback like Joe Milton. But I think part of it is just when guys are not under center 99% of the time, like, it's just it's asking a lot to put them under center in these moments and you might fumble and then you lose it anyway and it just doesn't even matter. So I think that's part of the reason that uh, we don't see stuff like that. Uh, at this point uh, in, in college football. But I also just, the play calls aren't great. It's just stupid because they bring everybody in um, in these shotgun uh, draw plays. And the whole point, what one of the strengths of Tennessee uh, running the football and why they'll always be a run first team is that the, the best part about the wide splits for receivers is that it forces corners and uh, uh, defenders on the outside. It, uh, it, it softens the box. For a Tennessee running back so there's less guys in there to stop the run but when you bring everybody together for these bunch formations it kind of uh, limits what you can actually do uh, running the football and it just crams it up a little bit more so there was some some bad stuff and also Jackson Ross was kicking the crap out of the ball all all season long and I think he had some really good punts in this game too so I agree with you that both they should have punted on both accounts but I also think Joe Milton played a great game. He ran with uh, purpose and uh, ran all over uh, Alabama in, in this one. I think Jalen Milrow uh, had a really rough first half. Um, and I don't think Jalen Milrow was good. I think Joe Milton had a better game than Jalen Milrow. Um, the two plays to start the second half, Tennessee wasn't ready coming out of the half. Um, big run uh, on first down, and then they hit Isaiah Bond over the top, uh, uh, which was huge. And then Obviously, the fourth down uh, mistake led to points again, and the game started to spiral. Where Tennessee's just had a couple of bad quarters, where like they had like in Florida, the second quarter got away from them, and they got blitzed twenty to nothing, and that was the difference in the game. And then they go here twenty-seven nothing in the second half, but it was really the third quarter where things uh, or third quarter where things got really out of out of whack for Tennessee, and they just can't put together four great quarters on the road. But they also had. Alabama on the ropes, twenty to seven. They were uh, squirrel had an unbelievable catch uh, in that first drive, and Tennessee was really cooking and doing a lot of new stuff. Like we hadn't seen Joe really run like that uh, to this point, and that just unlocked a lot of stuff for this Tennessee offense. But I think one of the things too that you see in the second half, and look, the officiating was terrible. Um, it's not the reason Tennessee lost, but one penalty for five yards in Tuscaloosa to the most penalized team in the SEC. 
that is obviously insane and should not have happened. And then a lot of folks, Alabama folks, are like, well, look at all the penalties that Alabama had last year in Tennessee. The over, I think nine of those 17 were pre-snap penalties um, in that game. So a little bit different context in terms of why Alabama was getting penalized a lot more uh, in Knoxville than Tennessee. But it was also just they Alabama made second half adjustments that Nick Saban's really good at. And they also deserve credit that like part of the issue with this year's Tennessee team versus last year and even the year before where Cedric Tillman and uh, Javante Payton were able to get big explosive plays against Bama and Tuscaloosa is that there are uh, this crop of receivers right now just can't separate. They're not physical. Kool-Aid McKintree's a first round guy. Alabama has Caleb Downs who's going to be a first round guy. Their secondary was all over Tennessee's wide receivers in this one, especially in the second half. And like you have to do something at some point. So part of it this year that's just been a major issue for Joe Milton in Tennessee is that these receivers are not very physical and they're not getting separation. Um, by and large, Squirrel's not as big and fast as Jalen Hyatt. Uh, you don't have a Cedric Tillman on the outside. And then you lose Brew McCoy, who was really needed in this game where he was a defensive inning in high school. Like the dude can't go up and get those contested catches when Alabama's strong five-star corners are all over you on the road, which is what's going to happen. Tennessee was just not able to shake those guys, whether it was Caleb Webb, Squirrel, Ramel in the second half. They just they couldn't get open. So I think Alabama deserves a lot of credit for really shutting that down um, with some really top-notch secondary play uh, in this one. But Tennessee just, they uh, they had their opportunity. They blew it uh, in the second half. I mean, they, they played really well the first half. They, I think, exposed Alabama in a lot of ways. I still don't think Alabama is this great juggernaut team and i don't think we're still headed towards a 11 and 1 bama team that beats georgia in the sec title game and makes the the cfp but i do think they deserve credit for the adjustments they made uh at halftime to flip the game on its head because i did not see a 27 nothing uh second half shutout coming uh for for this bunch no, I definitely didn't either. Um, and if you'd have told me that before the game that Joe Milton would outplay uh, Jalen Milrow and Tennessee would lose by multiple scores, like I, I wouldn't have believed you, honestly, because I think that was the biggest difference. I felt like with these two teams, like uh, Joe Milton has just got has just had nothing really encouraging to to make you think he was going to go on the road and and have this sort of performance, right? Mm -hmm. Like. He, uh, especially with his legs, like I was so impressed with how, with how Milton was, was running the ball. Do you remember the 2011 SEC championship with Georgia and LSU? Georgia was ranked, um, I want to say, I don't know, like upper teens, like 18, 20 or something. Like it was the year they started 0-2 and then they won 10 straight. Um, first, not a great schedule, but they absolutely dominated LSU and LSU was number one team in the country. Like the year they played Alabama number one and number two, right. And, and rematch for a national championship, Georgia absolutely dominated the first half of that game. But Tavares King dropped a touchdown pass. Uh, I mean, Malcolm Mitchell dropped a touchdown pass and it was 10 to zero, even though it could have been 21 to zero, like the way they had actually dominated. And then uh, Tyron Matthew takes the punt back for a touchdown before the halftime. And next thing you know, LSU won 42 to 10 and it was just over it. Like it felt like Tennessee, the way this first half was going, they could have been up 28 to seven at halftime, mm -hmm. but it was only 20 to seven. And they just, they just didn't dominate the scoreline the way they like truly dominated the first half. And then Alabama just, just outplayed them in the second half. It was, uh, but do you have to, 
after this game, it's like, I think everyone was like kind of prepared to be like, okay, now it's Nico or whatever, like Joe Milton, like the season's lost or whatever. But it's like, I feel in such a, it's such a weird position because it feels like it was Joe Milton's best game of the season, uh, but you still lost. No, I mean, Joe's the guy unless injury happens the rest of the way. Like they're not doing that. And I mean, he, he was not the issue. Uh, he had a bad fumble at the end, but uh, some misses. I think the biggest issue still is like the red zone stuff. Um, like you said, the 20 to seven, like this has been a bad red zone offense all year long. Things get tight and they've really struggled to punch it in. Um, and that's where Hendon Hooker really soared too. It's just that like that run option threat, but also Hendon Hooker was so good at finding those uh, little spots. And also Princeton fan was really important. The H back last year um, who they lost because McAllen Castles had a good touchdown to you in the first half in that corner but i mean joe milton sailed one against jacob warren and that was a bad miss where that was a that was six if he hits him uh in the back of the end zone he just threw a bad ball so i just think there's still a little bit um to be desired there but tennessee has to clean up their red zone play like they have to clean up their red zone offense uh but like i I just do you do you question the approach in the second half because it felt like milton was having the best game of his career and then the second half just felt so much more conservative i felt like everything that was being was being thrown at the line of scrimmage like i don't know it didn't seem like they took any shots really in the second half like i don't know the offense it was it was unrecognizable uh in the second half from what they did in the first half yeah, I don't – it was – they were just shook. I think the two plays to score right out of the gate by Alabama really shook them. Um, some bad fourth down decisions can really shake, uh, you know, just where – I mean, just the momentum. The momentum just, like, uh, spiraled uh, for Tennessee really quickly. It's similar to what happened at Florida, where Florida just had this head of steam in the second quarter, and it was like, oh, you look up, and it's like the game's kind of out of reach um, in a hurry. So, I don't know. I just think, by and large, I don't – Tennessee is still figuring stuff out, especially when they can't run the ball. Um, they really struggle um, to figure to get things going. And like I said, with the receivers, like guys just aren't getting open. And um, Alabama deserves a lot of credit for clamping down because you go back and watch the film. Like Tennessee guys aren't open. Like there's just a lot of Tennessee guys uh, on the outside just not winning one on one. So you got to hope that that gets turned around. But I mean, that's just part of losing two NFL wide receivers, uh, an NFL uh, H-back, and uh, an NFL right tackle, uh, top 10 pick and Darnell Wright, just the, and your quarterback uh, from a year ago. It's just still growing pains. Like we said before the year, I said this was a gap year for Tennessee before Nico and company takes over next year, and I think they're a, a strong playoff contender, and they're going to be really loaded. And also the depth. Like you lose Gerald Mincy late in this game, in the right on the right tackle spot, and you immediately saw uh, the difference with Dane Davis uh, walk on right tackle versus Mincy and what that did uh, for Tennessee's offensive line. But I don't know, the depth wasn't really there. The there's just a multitude of reasons as to why Tennessee did not uh, get the dub. But hey, winning in Tuscaloosa is hard, Matt Green. There's a reason not many people do it, and uh, that was the case uh, in on Saturday at Alabama. But hey. The two losses you're in rare territory tennessee is as an opportunity to be seven and two for the second time in like the last 20 years uh, out of the gate so things are still good you could you still can finish really strong here you still get georgia at home without brock bowers in a couple weeks we'll see, you see what I, this is a different team at home that's the other thing it's like any george fans look at them i'm like hypel and at home at Neyland. it's just a different beast it just is and uh i am I'm, I'm not saying tennessee is definitely gonna beat the dogs in Neyland in a couple weeks. I'll be in the building with my wife, maybe Matt Green and 
his lovely girlfriend will be there, but we'll we'll see what happens. Girlfriend. But what? Fiance? <laughs> what? Uh, wife? I don't. Basically, I don't say, wife. Yeah. You can't do the basically wife. You gotta. But yeah. You gotta, fiance. Fiance. Sorry. Fiance. Um, it might be in the building as well. So that uh, that could be fun, depending on how that goes uh, for us. So I don't know. We'll we'll see, Matt Green. We will. We shall see, sir. I um. It was a it was a good two quarters. It was a bad two quarters, unfortunately for the Vols. Didn't get it done. Georgia has a tough a tough slate these next uh, few weeks. Uh, so they they'll have to drop one for that game in Knoxville um, to decide the SEC East. But uh, but we shall see, sir. Our uh, do you mean to recap the listeners on our on our pick 'em over the weekend? Yes, because I really have no idea how I did. Well, um. I think that's uh what's what's the term um I don't know intentional uh and not remembering thing something intentionally uh when you're uh totally blanking on that right now but because you didn't do so hot is what uh, uh, is, is what I'm trying to say is that where you're going um but I did not capitalize sir mm. I um was it cognitive dissonance that you're thinking cognitive dissonance no i'm a uh, selective memory i think is oh. what i was looking for um mm. so neither of us did too hot you, we both went five and six overall and we both went three and eight against the spread so Ooh. uh yeah it, it was it was not a kind week to us um mm. so uh we will we'll, you ready to get into the pick em? Yeah, Who you want to start with? I see you. You put Tennessee, Kentucky first. Are we trying to talk that game first? No. Well, I also like to start with our teams first uh, each week, just because a lot of good folks tune in for our Georgia and Tennessee takes each and every week. So we, I just did a lot on Tennessee, uh, Bama. So you can you can go here, sir. Georgia, Florida. I think is where we start, right? Yes, sir. And I will be in the building, sir, for the cocktail party. This Are you really weekend. making the trip down there? Absolutely. With a gator. Uh, just making the trip down. It should be a, an awesome time. Um, Georgia, Florida. Dogs are a 14 and a half point favorite in this one. No Brock Bowers. That's a that's a big time storyline. Obviously, I think most Georgia fans wouldn't be so nervous if uh if maybe the best player in college football was was joining him down there. Um, this is the first game Wait, that I've tickets? gone. I do. I have uh, okay. got it already. I'm ready to go, man. Got a ride and everything. I'm not driving. It's going to be great. I was going to say, that's, um, a, that's a haul for one weekend. Are you taking that <laughs> Friday or Monday off, or are you doing just uh, straight one weekend and not missing No, we, we're just going straight down there. No days off. You're a wild man. You know it, man. <laughs> that is uh, Wow. Zero chance I'm doing something like that at our age, but I, I respect it. Hey, it's the cocktail party, man. You wouldn't understand. Tennessee fans, they don't go hard enough. You know, they wouldn't understand. Um, Georgia's won five of six in this rivalry, and really five of five when fans are actually there. So mm. we don't even count 2020. It's not important what happened that year. Um, but you look at this offense, and I think every, the, the storyline coming into this game is just – Georgia doesn't have Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers is the best player on the team. Brock Bowers is the whole offense, that sort of thing. And I saw a stat this week. I wish I could credit the right person. It's not my stat, but someone. It's a stat that exists in the Twitter mm. sphere. With If you take Brock Bowers' production out of Georgia's offense, his 595 total yards, 
Georgia's got the number 22 offense in the country, like mm. without Brock Bowers. And obviously somebody's going to get those stats, like maybe not the exact same as, as Bowers, but that that's just completely taking them out in general. So, and then Georgia scored 33 touchdowns this season. Brock Bowers has scored five of those. Like that's 15, 16% of the total yards, 15% of the touchdowns on the season. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to minimize Brock Bowers because I think he is the best player in college football, but Georgia just doesn't just ride one guy. This is this is about as much as they do when they when they get a rare talent like a, a Todd Gurley or like a Brock Bowers or something. So mm-hmm. you don't usually see Georgia ride one guy in, in terms of stats. And and maybe this is this is why that works out for them, because when when Jamison Williams and, and John Mechie go down, Alabama has no experience at the wide receiver position, you know, like. Georgia, we, we've talked about multiple times the, the amount of games that Georgia's gotten multiple, like double digit receivers with catches in, in, in games. So as good as Brock Bowers is, I think this offense is still a, a lot more than just Bowers. And it's it's not like Oscar Delp or Lawson Lucky are going to now be getting the play calls that Brock Bowers was getting. It's going to be a completely different look. Like receivers and running backs are going to get the Brock Bowers touches like the, the swing passes and the, 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 the screens and, and things like that. So it's not like a, the tight end has to come in and replace Brock Bowers. I just, I'm just curious. Cause like, it's just, it's a hampered Georgia team. Like there are injuries all over the place. Like what looks the most different? Like, I think you're going to need more out of Rara who's been good uh, thus far. I think you're really going to need maybe a wrinkle that we haven't seen that maybe pops up is Arian Smith, right? Like that's where you need, you need some explosive plays coming somewhere else because Bowers, you wouldn't think is an explosive play guy, but it's just what he was yards after contact and how hard he is to bring down a five yard plays very easily a 15 to 20 yard play for Brock Bowers whenever he gets his hand on the ball. But if you don't have a Brock Bowers in there, like I just don't think you're going to, if you're looking for Oscar Delp or look or lost and lucky or whoever to step right into that void, I just don't think that's realistic. I just think Brock Bowers is one of one at the tight end spot. Um, and putting those expectations on those young guys, I think is uh, you're going to lead. It's going to give you a lot of disappointment and frustration with those guys who are good in their own right. It's just not, not what Brock Bowers is. I'm just curious. Does Bobo run the ball a whole lot more? Does he put the ball in Dejan Edwards hands a lot more uh, healthy? Maybe we'll see how healthy Kendall Milton is. Does he do that or does he open it up? And like I said, Aaron Smith, get more downfield shots. Does he start uh, attacking more down the field with Carson Beck? I'm very curious which way he goes to uh, correct uh, this offense without uh, Brock Bowers. Where do you lean on that? I I feel like it's going to be, just, I mean, it's just going to get dispersed like kind of evenly among, among all the running backs and wide receivers. Like Oscar Delp mm-hmm. is going to step up and he's, I feel like he is an athlete as far as the tight end position goes. Like he's a very athletic, like capable receiving option. You're obviously going to lose something as a blocker with those two guys instead of Brock Bowers. So the, obviously that's going to affect the run game, but Amarius Mims is supposed to be back for this game. Like that's a potential first round pick at right tackle that has missed at least the last four or five games, I think. So that that's going to be big. I think for the most part, Georgia is getting healthy because Lad McConkey really hasn't been a big part of this team so far with the injury issues he's mm. had. And it's like, that's, I mean, that's the leading wide receiver from a year ago uh, alongside Bowers. Like this guy's got the big play potential, got the run after catch potential. So I think if anyone's going to uh, just straight up replace Bowers uh, production, like McConkey is probably the best 
the best candidate for that. But um, Kendall Milton, yeah, he might be healthy now. Hopefully he stays healthy. He's looked good at times when he's healthy, but man, the guy just keeps having these little nagging injuries. Um, Dejon Edwards is obviously going to need to be the guy uh, carrying the ball. But Carson Beck, I think for the most main for the most part, I think Georgia's going to be a pass-first offense still without Bowers. I think Carson Beck can can be that guy. Like as 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 good as Florida's defense, I think has been this year. Like they have not gotten after that. Like they're the only team in the SEC that has less sacks than Georgia. So I think one of the and, and Georgia I think might lead the SEC in terms of uh, sacks allowed. I think Beck's only been sacked five times this year. So. You just look at the way some of these teams have run the ball on Florida this year. Like like Kentucky just absolutely ran all over Florida, and it's it's hard to see. It's hard to see Florida keeping Georgia's like Georgia's running game kind of in check. Like as I, I I just it's hard to see to see them just slowing down this offense very much. To be honest. Yeah, and I just. I wonder what kind of game this is going to be. If it's going to be high scoring, do we see that? Like, what kind of game does Florida want? Like, what's the best kind of way to stay in it with uh, with the dogs here? I mean, uh, Georgia has the number one rush defense uh, in the SEC right now. Of course, not in yards per carry. Um, but <laughs> both uh, Florida and Georgia. Great callback. Yeah, there you go. Uh, both Georgia and uh, Florida have the top pass defenses in the SEC coming into this game. I think what might be the difference here. Because I think any Georgia fan that's expecting a blowout is going to be mistaken. I think you saw in the Auburn game that's a that was a road game. And I think this is not a road game, but it's close. Like, this is a 50-50 type deal. So, um, this will, I think, feel like a low, uh, road game. I forgot who it was. Who, maybe it was Kirby this week who said, like, when Georgia has the ball, it feels like a Georgia home game. And then when Florida has the ball, it feels like a Florida home game. Um, I, I, I think that was Kirby. Or reversed. Like, reverse. When Georgia has the ball, it feels like a Florida home yeah, game. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but... Um, I think what might end up being the difference here is Graham Mertz and this Florida offense has been bad on third down. Uh, they're one of the worst third down uh, conversion teams in the SEC. And I think to beat this Georgia team, you're going to have to be good on third down. You're going to have to keep this defense on the field. You're going to have to keep the Georgia offense off the field so that they can't get in a rhythm without Brock. I just don't think Florida is going to be able to do that. So I think they're going to run into the same problems just a little bit, maybe a little bit better than what Auburn had. Uh, a few weeks back because I think they're both pretty limited, but they also have a lot of lot of talent on both sides of the ball, and I think that defense is going to keep Georgia in check for most of the game. So for me, with all that being said, I think Georgia gets a win here, but I do think Florida covers. I think this is going to be uh, a close game, uh, even late. So give me Georgia, give me Georgia thirty, Florida twenty three. See, I think I feel like there's this narrative out there that this Georgia defense isn't that good this year. Like, mm. because I think they're, they're kind of falling victim to what Alabama experienced so much that they're getting compared to past Georgia teams. And they don't have to be as good as 2021, Georgia, 2022, Georgia to, to be the best team in the country. And you look at right now, like you said, number one pass defense in the sec, number nine in the country, number one run defense in the sec, number 11 in the country, number one in total defense in the SEC, number six in the country. Like this is still the best defense in the SEC so far. So I think for Florida to win this game, it's got to be pounding the rock and like just playing keep away, like owning the time of possession, like being able to go on like 14, 15 play drives, that sort of thing. And with how bad they've been on third down, like you said, 
Like it's hard to see them running the ball like consistently successfully on Georgia. And I think that's what you have to do. You have to be getting those third and shorts to to consistently convert on third down. And I, I think on the other side, I want to say Georgia's the best in the SEC, maybe the best in the country on third down and third down defense. So that that doesn't bode well for them. It's hard for me to see this this, like I said, this um uh, um Georgia offense being slowed down oh and, and the one thing about Graham Mertz I feel like there's also this idea that Graham Mertz has to ball out for Florida to beat Georgia but it it, it doesn't feel like Graham Mertz like not to disrespect Graham Mertz it doesn't feel like he's capable of like balling out in terms of just kind of carrying the team it feels like he mm. plays well every game he just kind of is what he is he's giving a, a solid a solid production out of the quarterback position, but he's not going to like elevate a team that has no business beating the opponent. You know what I'm saying? Like what he did against South Carolina last year, last week was, was a great performance and a great comeback, but it's like Florida's got to have everything else going in, in, in order to, to beat Georgia. It's not going to be like Graham Mertz. I feel like could have his game where he goes 24 of 32 for 280 yards, a touchdown and a pick in like, Florida lose by three touchdowns because I think he's just like a consistent quarterback. I think Florida's got to be able to run the ball if they're going to win this game. And like you said, this is the number one run defense in the SEC. I don't think I see it. I think um, I think Georgia still has some success um, in this one. I'm going to say Georgia does cover the spread in a in a contested game. Like I'm going to say 34-17. Maybe it's even a one score game going into the fourth quarter. But um, I think uh, I think ultimately Georgia's just Georgia's got too much I think for this Florida team to to make it too close. All right, Matt Green, where are we going next? All right, let's uh let's go up to Rocky Top, not to Rocky Top. We're going up to Kroger Field, sir, Lexington, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. The uh, Tennessee Volunteers come in. What are they? A four and a half point favorite at home. So we got or three and a half point dog. Kentucky is at home. Uh, what do you, how, how do you see this one going, sir? So I went back and forth on this. I think this is an inflection point. Obviously, Hypo's not lost at, uh, lost to Kentucky yet. Uh, in his tenure, there's the stoop, uh, question here because obviously, um, he was fired by, uh, Mike Stoops' brother, um, Bob Stoops many years ago at Oklahoma. And I think there's just always going to be some, Animosity. This game's always gonna be circled on uh, on Josh Heupel's calendar uh, while he's uh, the head coach of the University of Tennessee. So I think there's some added ammunition there each and every uh, season on that front. But I think what's interesting about this one, Matt Green, is like teams that play Alabama the week before a big game, like it's never great because Alabama has five stars and just it, it's a physical physical game win or lose against Alabama. Texas A&M dealt with that against Tennessee on the road um, the following week. To get Tennessee right after Alabama was really tough uh, on A&M, and that was a really tough game for A&M, and you wonder how maybe how that game goes if A&M does not play a very physical Alabama team the week prior. My thing is, I'm curious, because Tennessee got banged up. Gerald Mincy needs to be healthy at the right tackle spot. We'll see how much he plays uh, in this one. I think I mean, they're banged up out wide. That that matters uh, for Tennessee because what they did uh, two years ago on the road at uh, Kentucky, I don't know if you remember, they scored in the first play and a quick screen to Javante Payton um, that went for six, and it was a back-and-forth, high-scoring game. I don't think you're going to see that here. I think you're going to see another low-scoring type affair. I don't think you're going to see where Tennessee blew the doors off Kentucky at home uh, a year ago. I think uh, the situations are really different, but one thing that isn't different is Devin Leary stinks. 
and Will Levis stunk for Kentucky last year. And I don't know if it's a Kentucky problem. I don't know what to say about it because we've seen good Devin Leary uh, at this point uh, in his college career. We saw it at NC State. It's been a while now. But to barely complete 50% of his passes. Uh I said I seen it. He was good at some point, and he's just not anymore. No, I mean, he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the SEC this year. So I'm just curious, do the Vols bounce back? Because it's a big game. You still got at Mizzou on the calendar. That's probably going to be a night game that I think Tennessee needs to be doing everything they possibly can to get that at at noon because Tennessee has kicked the crap out of people in the SEC uh, uh, high LSU uh, when they play uh, on the road at those noon spots. It seems like they get up and just going straight from practice to game. They play. They play better, so I think you and they also scored like a bazillion points when they played at noon uh, at Mizzou two years ago. So I think you want that one not to be at night. As a Georgia fan, you should know that uh, you don't want to go into Columbia uh, late on the SEC network uh, when it gets a little bit chilly outside because it gets a little, little close. It's dangerous. To, it gets a little dangerous. So you hope that's not the case, but you still have them on the schedule. You still got Georgia on the schedule, so you don't want to fall in that seven and five range if you drop this one that's very much on the table if you take care of business here then i think you feel pretty good about mizzou the following uh week and uh you go from there but i just i i don't know this is very very tough like kentucky is the number two rush defense in the sec right now tennessee needs to be able to run the ball they ran all over the number one rush defense uh or one of the best rush defenses in the sport uh in texas a&m uh when they played them a few weeks back I mean, the Vols are number one in rush defense in yards per carry, so I don't think Ray Davis is going to have a good day against Tennessee. I, I would be surprised if that's the case. I think Tennessee's going to be really motivated coming off that close loss uh, to Alabama. They think that they left they let off the hook because they did. Uh, they were better in the first half, got trounced in the second half, and blew a big opportunity to get over the hump in back-to-back years over the tie. I also wonder if that's a new Milton. I wonder if he's going to run the ball a bunch again in this game where he's banged up from taking a lot of big hits uh, in that Alabama game. Does he... Does he stay in the pocket more? Because if we see that, then I think this could be a loss for Tennessee. If we see him move around a lot more like we saw last week, I think that's a added dimension that makes nine and three, 10 and two at the very best, uh, more like nine and three, very attainable as if we see that. Also, you're going to see a bunch of penalties. The Vols in Kentucky are the most penalized teams in the SEC this year. Um, most hypo coach teams are pretty penalty laden, but uh, the Kentucky is right there at the bottom with them. So, I don't think you're going to see a lot of explosive plays. I think both offenses are wanting to run the football to uh, make things work. I think they're going to be running in uh, low yards per carry here, but I think Tennessee gets a little bit more here. Give me Tennessee 34, Kentucky 27. So I think Tennessee wins and covers, but I do think it's close throughout. So these two teams are going to want to run the ball, and they're – Two of the best teams uh, at at defending the run as well, like you said. The thing that that I worry about, like which Tennessee team is going to show up? Is it going to be the first half Alabama team or the second half Alabama team? Is it because to this point, we've seen one Tennessee show up on the road. I guess Mm. it's hard to say that because the two teams we saw in the first and second half of Alabama are completely different teams, but they're five and oh or four and oh at home this year and two and oh and two on the road. And Mm. Kroger Field is not Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. It's not Bryant-Denny Stadium, but it's still a home field in the SEC, and this is going to be a rowdy environment. And if, if if Tennessee's not able to consistently run the ball on Kentucky, which, I mean, I don't know that they can. I mean, they can. I don't know if they will because there's something different about going on the road, and we've seen this Tennessee team go on the road multiple times now. And I do we worry about a hangover after a loss? Uh, to Alabama like that, just kind of 
because you feel like you did let one slip away, like you you should have beaten Alabama, you should have been the one blowing cigar smoke in the air on Saturday night. I mean, I think I think I'm going with the upset. I'm going with the Kentucky Wildcats at home to get the job done. Joe Milton, I never seen him play that well, and so why do I think he's going to play that well again a second week in a row? I don't know. Cause let's not forget, Kentucky was winning against Missouri going to the fourth quarter last week. Like Devin Leary, you know, decided to take over the fourth quarter <laughs> and solidify the Missouri victory. But um, I, they they gave Missouri. They were the better team for three quarters. I thought in that game. So Missouri is, a, is still a good team. That's another team on Tennessee's schedule uh, from this point on. But I don't know. It's something about the. The home field, Tennessee, has not won on the road yet this year. I'm going to go with the Wildcats to get the upset. Give me give me Tennessee or give me Kentucky. What's the score I got here? 26-23. Kentucky gets it done. Wow. I mean, Put it on the board. We, we're in some dire straits here if they drop this Kentucky game. I'm telling you, like, it's a big, it's a, it's a big thing. Like, I think this is a sneaky one because in your atmosphere in Georgia, I think you're not going to be favored in either of those games, and then you're – you're in dangerous waters because seven and five won't cut it. Cause seven and five is firing. Seven and five is some some changes. Um, uh, so you gotta. I think this is a big big game. No, seven and five. We're not firing hypo. No, 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 no. I'm not saying hypo. I'm saying assistance. I'm saying you'll have some movement on. Stuff I don't. I don't know. I think. I mean, I tried to warn. I tried three. to warn Tennessee fans. It's a year two bump and the year three slump. It's like no, this you happens. Can't be seven and three. No, I mean seven and five. You can't. You so so what is that that's five and three it, let's say they they lose mm-hmm. that's that's five and three with with who left on the schedule at mizzou and georgia at home so you, eight and four is still possible with with yeah. with that right but if you, you, even if you lose to kentucky two, you won't be favored in two more games here so you're gonna need an upset that's fair i don't know I we'll don't know. see i don't know if uh I don't know if I would overreact like that with Tennessee having such a good year in 2022. Like it's not really an overreaction. It's just the nature of the beast. Like we're paying, we're big dollars. We're top 10 recruiting. Like you got to make noise. You can't have that kind of a fallback after what you just had. Cause I understand breaking through and does the recruiting the, class uh, impact that if they're the, the, the fifth ranked recruiting class in the country and they go seven and five, it's, it seems like they don't really care as much about that. Like I think when you talk to, people on the inside were recruiting i don't think guys it, fans would be really surprised to hear how little um i shouldn't like it's just not at priority one let's put it that way in terms of win losses it's not priority one for most kids what no i'm saying in terms of being like on the hot seat like i mean it changes like i think if you see recruiting, they're recruiting yeah. really well it's like okay just just be easy we had just had a great season you know we're, we're still building the program like the coat we're recruiting well but the guy recruits like our position coaches that sort of thing i don't know if i don't know if one down year would would uh merit firing uh, anything like that but hey that's I'm just saying hypo hypo has got a job for a long time and yeah yeah should. and tim banks fine like i just think it's more of like there will be i think you just have to shake something up there's just no way you can run it back seven and five um with the same exact staff and the offensive problems. Well, we'll see. They, they do have Georgia and Knoxville. You know, it's like, even if they lose to Kentucky, it's like, that doesn't mean they can't beat Georgia and Knoxville. Crazy things happen in college football. So you're so full. They go eight. I know you're just, you're just throwing that out there. You I mean, do. I don't think George is going to lose to Tennessee, but I mean, that was the number one game. Everyone circled in terms of the most losable game on their schedule preseason. And yeah. to this point, I would say it 
probably still looks like it. So, um, okay. Yeah. So we'll see, but you know, know without Brock Bowers too, you know, who knows what the Georgia offense looks like without Brock Bowers. Um, all right. Well, where are we going next? Matt green. What was your, what was your score on that one? Uh, did you you give a score? Yeah. I said, uh, Tennessee 34 and then I think, yeah, 34, 10, uh, uh, Kentucky. Wait, 34, 27. Mm. All right. Put it on the board. Um, let's keep it moving. College game days, game of the week. Oregon Ducks at the Utah Utes. Utah coming off the big win over USC last week. Five-point dog at home. How do you see this one going, sir? Um, this is going to be a really fun game. It's a sneaky big one for both teams. I think this is a this is one of those loser leaves the CFP party. Uh, games, which is good because the Pac-12 is going to have a lot of these down the stretch. I mean, USC losing back-to-back kind of eliminates that uh, for one of these teams. But um, this is a sneaky, gigantic game for the conference because I think if you're the Pac-12, I mean, it doesn't really matter because it's folding, whatever. But the Pac-12 getting in here, I think you're you're a little bit nervous if Oregon goes down at uh, Utah because I don't, I'm not a believer that Washington's going to run the gauntlet, and you know. This is what we said before the year. Utah is just, they're going to drop another dumb game, and then they're going to be 10-2, and going to the Pac-12 title game, and then beat a undefeated Washington um, in a close physical game, and then no one from the Pac-12 makes the college football playoff once again, even though they had just powerhouse teams all across the board. That's what, just what it feels like all over again. But Jaquinta Jackson is going to be important in this one. Uh, Utah, obviously, running the ball a lot with Cam Rising being out uh, so much this year. Um, his last three games, averaging 79 rushing yards per game. He probably needs a big day here at home. Um, Ducks haven't won in Utah, Matt Green, since 2016. Kyle Whittingham protects his house, beating Florida at home uh, to start the year in an upset. Um, hit last year, the two losses for Utah, both on the road. Utah's a sneaky, let me, you don't l- think... Let me add on to your to your home field advantage stat. Do you got do you, how how much stats do you have more stats on home field? Um, I don't want to steal your thunder if you were going to say this. Well, no, the, you can go ahead because I think uh, that's about it in terms of home field. Twenty twenty twenty. I throw out. You know, there was no home. There was no fans. No real home yeah. field advantage in twenty twenty. You exclude twenty twenty. Utah has won twenty eight straight home games. They won thirty of their last thirty-one. If you throw in those those twenty twenty games, but yeah, it's a it's a legit home field advantage. All that being said, Bonix, this is a huge game for him. You would you if you're an Oregon fan, you wish you get this one at home, um, especially with this year. But that's why that winning that uh, Washington game was so important because I mean it was going to be tough. Like that's a tough schedule to have to go to Washington and Utah in the same season when you're as talented as Oregon is. I just. I don't know. Like the Utah, what's interesting to me is they've only scored 30 or more points three times. It was against USC, whose defense sucks, Cal, and then Weber State. I don't know what immovable object works here because Oregon, they're averaging 47 a game here. And you know what? If they get anywhere close to 47, Utah's not winning this football game. Like Utah cannot win this football game. Neither of these teams turn the ball over ever. So you're not going to see some dumb stuff uh, back and forth in this one. I I just think this is going to be a really, really good, well-coached, well-played football game on both sides. And 
if you're an Oregon fan, this is going to make you sick because this is a super talented team. I think they're losing this game. I think Oregon's wow. going to go to Utah and Utah's going to keep rolling here because that's what Utah does. And I just, you hated it for the Pac-12 because Utah is not going to finish 12-1 and and make the college football playoff. We all know it. And they're just going to take down the Oregon Ducks. They already knocked out the USC Trojans last week. They're the Pac-12 college football playoff Grim Reapers here. Two loss USC out of here. Now you get a two loss Oregon team after this week. So give me the home field advantage and bet. I'm not betting it's Kyle Whittingham at home. So give me Utah in an in a low scoring defense heavy game. Give me Utah 28, Oregon 24. Wow. See, I think uh, I think people are gonna let that USC game fool them. That like mm. Utah, Utah is like figure things out offensively. It's like no you. USC just they're terrible defensively. It's just it's an awful defense. So you look at Oregon and they're just a way more balanced team. Like this is the number one offense in the in the Pac-12 and the number three defense. Like I think uh, I think Utah is going to have some success because, like we said, this home field is is one of the toughest places to play in all of college football. But I think Oregon is just too good, and I'm going to take Oregon to go on the road and get the win and cover so get like give me oregon like 30 to 24 it's gonna be close but um yeah give me the ducks to win this one all right there you go matt green where are we going next let's keep it moving to the big 10 wisconsin is hosting ohio state and ohio state is a 14 point favorite on the road Nine straight wins versus Wisconsin. Only two of those were actually in Madison, though. So uh, how do you see this one going? Well, sir, I don't know what you're going to do because you've got to be reeling. This whole year, I've said these folks just just penciling in the demise of the Ohio State Buckeyes. Top three recruits every single year. Best wide receiver in the country. Yeah, they're replacing C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord. It's been okay. But Jim Knowles has got that defense cooking. They put the clamps on uh, Drew Aller and Penn State last week at home. I mean, that had to hurt, Matt Green, for for all the souls out there who were like, this is it for Ohio State. This They're, they're gettable this year. It's not Penn State happen. believers out there. We were We were fooled again. Pulled again, Matt Green. Couldn't be me. Not me. In my Paul Red voice. Ohio State Buckeyes, they just win regular season games. They do it every week. And there are going to be some folks who are like, ooh, could they overlook uh, Wisconsin this week? 14 points. Uh, what's going on? Braylon Allen. Could he come in there and do stuff? No. Like, Trayvon Henderson's back. Egbuka's back. Denzel Burke's back. They're going to be really good. Like Luke Fickle, yeah, he has some history with uh, the Buckeyes. He'd like to beat his old team. Guess what? Tanner Mordecai is not playing in this game. Braden Locke is going to be under center. He uh, transferred in from Mississippi State. Uh, he's barely completing 50% of his passes. Two picks, or two TDs, one pick. Then having to go against this Ohio State defense, which is the strength of this Buckeyes team this year. Like They're going to put the clamps on Wisconsin. They're going to put the clamps on most teams they're playing this year. Ohio State's just a complete football team, and people just aren't ready to get there uh week over week because everyone wants ohio state to kind of fall off a little bit here 
they're not going to Matt Green. So I think uh, this Wisconsin team is very flawed. Uh, they're playing a backup quarterback who has not looked good to this point. Braylon Allen will probably do a little bit of stuff. Ohio State's getting healthier. They're underrated on offense. I think they're going to cover with ease. So give me Ohio State. Give me Ohio State 38, Wisconsin 17. It's hard for me to call them a complete football team because I still don't think this offense is great. Like, it's good, but it's, I mean, 33 points a game is far from what we've seen Ohio State do most years. Like, this passing attack, we know the receivers are great. That's kind of what makes it an indictment on Kyle McCord is that this passing attack has been fine. Like, it hasn't been great. So, this Ohio State defense is amazing, um, like you're saying. You look, I wouldn't, I would crunch some numbers on the series history of uh, Ohio State, Wisconsin. Ohio State has not won by more than two scores at Wisconsin since 2000. Mm. And there's a couple of losses in there too. They haven't won by 14 points at Wisconsin since 1990. Great year, by the way. Give me Ohio State to win, but Wisconsin to cover. Because I'm not impressed with this Ohio State defense or Ohio State offense in terms of just being able to score at will. So I think Wisconsin can kind of hang around, and this can kind of be what we've seen a typical Big Ten game be this year of just two really good defenses going at each other. Um, so I mean, Wisconsin, it's not as good of a defense as they have probably most years. But I think they're going to be able to keep it kind of close. So give me Ohio State, like, I don't know, like 24 to 13 or something like that. Like, I think it's it's able it, – it's a – I think the defense is going to play well, but it feels like it, it could be an ugly win on the road. Okay. Interesting. Let's see. Let's go out to the Pac-12. Prime time. Going to L.A. Colorado is a 17-point dog at UCLA. How do you see this game going, sir? Colorado, I mean, it feels like forever ago that they were the center of uh, college ball world attention. And uh, they're kind of like, hey, they got to, they they can't really mess around much down the stretch here. They still got to get two more wins to get to bowl eligibility. So their schedule is still pretty tough uh, down the stretch. So I'm curious how things go for Colorado because Matt Green, they're not going to win here either. 17 point dogs in the road against a good UCLA team who's five and two. Uh, on the year I like the uh, Dion's quote about uh, it's really not about like the players it's like you're it's about the matchup and just what Chip Kelly's able to do with this system and what he, he is able to do week in week out I mean they drilled Stanford 42-7 um, they changed quarterbacks too though Dante Moore a couple pick sixes kind of just was not working out for them as a true freshman so he'll be fine long term but I uh, went back to Ethan Garbers and uh, he was good um garbers uh he was 20 28 240 two tds um against stanford so he was he was solid and it's also like they just don't ask uh these guys too much just don't turn the ball over and just do just enough through the air and on the ground to make this work because the bruins are a team that are led by uh lynn's defense like he's such a good defensive coordinator that i've said for weeks in this podcast i'm like it was if you're not looking at this ucla defense you're not paying attention because this UCLA defense is top notch. They are a defense first team. They're 11th in the nation in yards allowed. Talked about how good their rush defense is too. Uh, they're 10th in scoring defense. Like you can't really score them. You can't really get a lot of yards on them. Uh, they're forcing a lot of turnovers all across the board. This uh, UCLA defense is for real. I think uh, 
uh, Colorado is going to have some turnover problems. I think their uh, UCLA is going to play ball control and have their way. Garber should be fine against this uh, Colorado defense. Now, give me UCLA at home. Uh, give me, uh, but 17 is a lot of points for this UCLA offense. So give me UCLA 31, Colorado 20. 31-20. Okay, so you're you're you are going to take Colorado to cover. I think Colorado covers. 17 is just too much with this UCLA offense. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. This is the the best defense in the in the Pac-12 versus the worst defense in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know Colorado's offense has has some capabilities, but I'm what was the score you said? Uh 34 uh, what did i say no 31 31 20 that's what yeah. you said yeah yeah 31 um i'm i'm thinking it's probably a little higher scoring than that just because this colorado defense has just been so bad uh but i'm right there with you i think ucla wins easily but um but they don't cover so i'm gonna say like 41 27 uh something like that so yeah i think uh i think you're right though this uh colorado schedule without they have the rest of the way it, they still got to find two more wins. It it could be it could be interesting down the stretch. All right, there you go. Where are we going next, Matt Green? Let's go to the Big Twelve. Another uh, another home dog on the slate. Oklahoma going at Kansas, and the Jayhawks are a ten point dog in this one. Um, Oklahoma's number one scoring offense and the number one scoring defense in the Pac twelve. How do you see this one going, sir? I said Pac-12 in the Big 12. So, I mean, who knows what conferences are anymore, Matt Green. Um, <laughs> 10's a little low for me in this game. I think Kansas Kansas is a hard read. Obviously, Jalen Daniels being out for a lot of this year has really hurt them. I think it might be an overreaction to Oklahoma playing with their food against UCF at home. Uh, this past week, being in a dogfight where UCF had an opportunity to tie the game with a two-point conversion try that did not uh, go awry. I just... There's some really bonkers numbers where, like, we're not ready to just say Oklahoma's back, but, like, this is the fourth time um, in the last 20 years Oklahoma started 7-0. Like, this is – Lincoln Riley wasn't doing this every year uh, in in, uh, in Norman, Oklahoma, Matt Green. Kansas has also really had no success uh, against Oklahoma. It hasn't been the same as they've had uh, with Texas over the last couple of years. Like, they seem to always give Texas a game uh, outside of this year. But Oklahoma, it's a little bit different story. And also, hey, there was that game with Caleb Williams, though, whether they where they escaped, where they were like yeah. letting fans in in the fourth quarter without tickets, just like, come on in, let, <laughs> like, check out this game. We're almost beating Oklahoma. That's true. Um, I think Rattler started that game, right? Wasn't that a weird one where Caleb Williams that would have been 2021, right? So I think so. I think that was because that was the one where he had that they had the, they had the fourth down stop like late, yeah. and then Caleb Williams just took it from his running yes. back and then picked I do it up. This. Yes, I think Spencer yeah. started that game. I'm pretty certain that was the benching when you, Caleb took over. Uh, yeah, you might be right about that. Um, but also Kansas has not uh, beaten a top ten team since the 2008 Orange Bowl. Matt Green, um, this is a big win for them. Uh, the last time Kansas beat Oklahoma was 1997, uh, which means that uh, the Sooners have won uh, 18 straight uh, in this series. And also, Oklahoma, their defense has been good, but also this is the best offense in the Big 12 uh, to this point. So Oklahoma still way more complete than I think we're all giving them credit for uh, to this point in the year. 
and I think they roll here. So give me Oklahoma 45, Kansas 24. All right, put it on the board. So these two teams have have two common opponents this year. They both played UCF and they both played Texas. Um, obviously, we we saw Oklahoma UCF last week. They barely escaped, and they had the last second win over Texas and maybe the game of the year so far this college football season. Kansas blasted UCF earlier this year and got blasted by Texas. So it's like who who really knows as far as the transitive property in this one, but I'm with you. I think Oklahoma is just the most well-rounded team probably in the big 12. Um, and I'm with you. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 31, 17. I think it's, it's still a game because Oklahoma hasn't necessarily blown out many teams uh, so far this year, but uh, yeah, I think they do win and cover. All right. Where are we going next, Matt Green? And our next game, we're going to the ACC. We got the Duke Blue Devils going on the road at Louisville. Louisville's a four-point favorite in this one. What's your uh, what's your gut telling you about this game? That this game's going to be ugly. don't really want to tune into this one, Matt Green. This one's uh, going to be a little bit oof. We'll see what the quarterback play looks like uh, in this one. But I think this is going to be, I mean, <sighs> Louisville is just... I, they're so hard to read. I mean, obviously the Notre Dame uh, win being a gigantic one for them. And then, like you said, with what Duke did uh, a week ago against FSU, like they're in that game, and who knows how it goes if Riley Leonard's 100% healthy from the first quarter to the fourth. So welcome to the resistance when it comes to uh, Florida State is not a realistic college football playoff champion, Matt Green, uh, as I've been saying week over week on this very show. But Jake Plummer is really good at late in games. He's been a really great uh, portal pickup, and he's found his spot here with uh, Coach Brom uh, in Louisville. But I just I think Louisville's going to be able to run the ball uh, on uh, on Duke in this one. And you know they have a I like their running backs. Uh, I like their offensive line. I like Jack Plummer. Uh, Jake Plummer, excuse me, as we talked about. And Louisville, like their weakness coming into this one is their pass defense and. I just don't think Duke's going to be able to take advantage of uh, the Cardinals' issues in their secondary uh, in this one. So I think it's a really good matchup for Louisville and a bad one for Duke. Duke's lost two of three coming into this one, and they're kind of they're really beat up, and then the cards get a bye coming into this one. So I think having two weeks to prepare for this Duke team is going to help them too at home. So give me Louisville to win and cover. Give me Louisville 37, Duke 21. 37 21 see i um i'm not really a believer in louisville at all this year it felt like it felt like we can kind of like double double rate teams like in the preseason like you're like oh look at their schedule i think they could make some noise because they have such an easy, easy schedule and then i'm going to predict them to to be higher in the rankings because i think they'll finish higher because they're easy schedule it's like we're kind of uh ranking it twice and i'm not really a believer that they're a truly legit team if duke's uh he- riley leonard is 100 healthy like yeah i think i'm i'm definitely i think duke's easily winning this game but notre dame is i mean they're roughly a better team that notre dame duke game went down to the wire as well but the fact that Louisville was able to beat a, a, a better team, uh, healthy in Notre Dame at home, I think just the home field advantage, I think, goes a long way. 
So I, I do think this Duke defense is legit, and I think they're going to keep this thing uh, close. But I, I see it being like a, a 20 to like 13 kind of game, like that it's neither team is really doing much offensively, but but ultimately Duke's just not able to get it done because of the quarterback play. All right, where are we going next, Matt Green? Keeping it moving out to the Big 12. We got BYU at Texas. Longhorns are a 19 and a half point favorite in this one. No Quinn Ewers, Malik Murphy we're going to see uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, they do still have uh, Jonathan Brooks in this one. I think they are going to feed him because BYU is last in the Big 12 and run offense last in the big 12 in and uh past the pass offense this team is just they're five and two right now but uh i just i don't think they're legit i think texas is gonna is gonna put a beat down on byu it's funny you say that matt green not so fast my friend mm. byu loves this they beat arkansas if you remember and i understand arkansas just fired danny and they're having some problems this BYU team, like you said, the offense is truly awful. Like, all across the board, the offense, there's no way to sugarcoat it. Like, they are awful. 128th in rushing, 124th in third down conversions, 73rd in scoring. And yet, this seems 5-2. and two. They're a game away from going bowling, Matt Green. There's just some those kooks this year. They're, they're spicy. They find a way to win when they should not be winning games. They should not be a 5-2 and two football team. Texas... Played with their food against Houston a week ago. Really could have lost to Houston, uh, a 500 Houston team. Quinn Ewers out. We don't know what we're going to get out of Malik Murphy here. Probably going to see some March in this one, too. I don't think it's going to be one of those. It's just uh, entirely Malik Murphy's show. I just think this is an issue for them because guess what? Guess who's number three in turnover margin in the sport this year, Matt Green? BYU. Guess who's number four in turnovers uh, that the defense has produced It was 16? BYU. Guess who's number five in the country in turn in interceptions in the country? BYU. BYU takes advantage of that turnover margin. We've seen it before. When you dominate the turnover margin in this sport, Matt Green, it can get you some wins that you have no business winning. Texas is going to have some turnovers in this one. They're breaking in a new quarterback here with Malik Murphy. He's a very different quarterback than Quinn Ewers. I don't think it's going to be squeaky clean. No. I think this is going to be fans in Austin are going to be like, uh-oh. Are we really about to lose to BYU at home with the college wow. football playoff on the line? This is going to come down to the wire. I think this is an absolute just circle the wa like wagons type game uh, for, for Texas. They need to come together and bounce back because Quinn Ewers on the shelf for the foreseeable future. You still have your college football playoff uh, destiny right in front of you if you can take care of business down the stretch here and get a rematch with Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game and get Quinn back. But I think this is going to be a coog fight. Matt Green. So give me Texas to win. Give me Texas 27, BYU 24. I think this is going to be a very, very close game to the end. Wow. See, I um, I just don't know how BYU scores any points in this game. Like, Texas has got the number one run defense in the uh in the big 12 this year like they're just they're a really balanced team and yeah like Malik murphy you know he, he is we are breaking in a new quarterback but we, we we saw that guy in the spring game this guy's a player like i think uh texas is loaded with 
with uh, weapons around him too. Like, I just don't think there's any way, like for a BYU offense or defense that's been bad this year, like at least uh, it hasn't been as bad as the offense. It, mediocre to bad this year. Like this Texas offense is going to be the best offense they faced all season. Like even with without Quinn Ewers. So, um, you know, I don't think uh, I don't think Keaton Slovis is that guy that's going to be able to go into Austin and uh, be able to to pick this uh, secondary apart. So, give me uh, give me Texas. Like, cause I think it's the the defense that is what I'm kind of leaning on more in this one, even more so than the offense, because I don't think BYU can score enough points to to keep it competitive. So I think it's, I'm going to say Texas like 34 to to 14. I want to pick BYU to win this game so bad. Cause I think like, I'm not going to put my name on it, but I think they're going to win this game. They, uh, Hey, just say it. If you think it's going to happen, just say it. I can't do it. It's so dumb. Cause they're going to win anyway. And I'm just going to be an idiot. Um, 41 seven was what BYU beat them by in 2014 with Taysom Hill. Uh, 2013, BYU 40, Texas 21. 2020 or 2011, Texas 17, BYU 16, close game. 1988, the previous time before that, BYU 47, Texas 6. 1987, BYU 22, Texas 17. Like, this is a sneaky BYU owns this series type deal. Sneaky, that 35-year-old victory, that might play a part. I mean, uh, do you, did you hear a lot of Texas dubs when these two teams are matching up in the last uh, 30 years, Matt Green? It's, we're going to be looking back, too, at this, like, uh, in, like, 30, 40 years and being like, oh, you remember that year BYU and Texas were in the Big 12? It was a conference game? Like, uh, it's, uh, it's just strange. God, I want to just pick BYU outright, but I can't do it. I think we. I think you're picking BYU. I think you've said it now out loud. I think I'm just gonna change your pick to BYU. I think you. I think you have. I think you've spoken. No. Put on I the board, BYU. It. No, I can't do it. I just can't. It's so dumb. I'm gonna be so mad at myself Saturday night. This is the dumbest thing. I should just do it. I, I know in my heart of hearts BYU is gonna win this you're, game, and I'm just you're a coward. It. You're I a really coward. <laughs> Not doing <sighs> it. All right. I'll leave Texas on the line, but uh, maybe it's an asterisk there. Feels like you're feels like you're hedging your bet there. Mm. Um, so keeping it moving out to the Pac-12, we got the Oregon State Beavers at the Arizona Wildcats. And sir, don't you sleep on these Arizona Wildcats? Arizona's a four and a half point home dog in this one. So I got a stat for you. Mm. Off the top of my head, are these maybe Bo, Bo Nix is probably one of the three best quarterbacks in the Pac-12, but three of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12: Michael Penix Jr., Caleb Williams, Cam Ward. These three guys have combined for 57 touchdown passes this year against everyone else they've played. When these guys have played against the Arizona Wildcats, they have combined for one touchdown pass. Only um, only Caleb Williams threw a touchdown pass against the Arizona Wildcats. This team is sneaky at home. I'm your home dog of the week, Arizona Wildcats. Put it on the board. They're getting the win over Oregon State. Wow. So you're picking Oregon State to lose outright. Oh, yeah. Arizona's going to get it done. This Pac-12 is getting 
real weird, man. It's getting weird. We don't even know. We thought there was like good six good teams and six bad teams. We don't even know. We don't even know who the ba- good and bad teams are anymore. It's getting weird. I think Oregon State we know is a good team. Beavs have won three straight. I think I saw in the most recent uh, model. I think Bud Elliott of Cover Three had them at nine and three uh, down the stretch here. Arizona's just back and forth. They had that forty-four-seven dub over Wazoo, but I just don't see the consistency. I don't know what their identity is. I think they're just going to be a five hundred team where they go back and forth uh, week over week. No, I trust. I trust the Beavs. I think the Beavs are just going to hang around down the stretch here. I think they run the football really well. I think they're going to uh, be able to handle uh, Arizona in, in this one. So, no, give me the Beavs to win outright, uh, Matt Green. Give me the Beavs to win and cover. Give me Oregon State 38, uh, Arizona 31. Oregon State 38-31. All right, put it on the board. Now let's go to the ACC. We got North Carolina at Georgia Tech. Uh, Yellow Jackets are an 11 and a half point home dog in this one. How do you see it going, sir? The reason I put this one on the on the board for us, Georgia Tech is having the weirdest effing season imaginable because they should have lost. They should be two and five right now because they should have lost to Miami. Like if you just kneel down, that game doesn't have like that's not a dub for the for the Jackets. And it's <laughs> great true. late game heroics by. Uh, Haynes King, but like, no, that should not have been a win for Georgia Tech. I UNC just had an inexplicable loss because that's, of course, what UNC is going to do when they're having this magical year. Go ahead and lose the worst team in the ACC in the middle of the year. Go do that. Great, great work all around by uh, the Tar Heels uh, against Virginia last week. That being said, UNC Georgia Tech, I feel like, is always weird too. Like, I always just feel like this game is one to monitor that you want to just see like how this game's going between these two teams. And Georgia Tech beat Miami. Like, that was a really weird game. I think Georgia Tech, like, plays out of their mind. Like, they should have beat Louisville to start the year, who's a really good ACC team. They blew that one. They play down and lose to Bowling Green at home. They have these awful home losses on the calendar here. Uh, they lost to BC. Um, I I just, I think this is a sneaky one to monitor, folks. Like, just keep an eye on Georgia Tech-UNC, because UNC cannot afford to drop another one now uh, to still be in the th- thick of things at college football playoff and also make the ACC championship game to get Florida State. But I also just think Georgia Tech is such a volatile team week over week that I just think they're must-see television right now because I don't know if they're going to play out of their minds and play like one of the best teams in the ACC or they're going to get absolutely embarrassed uh, by North Carolina. North Carolina comes out swinging. So I think this is a sneaky, tough one with uh, this line with Georgia Tech here in North Carolina. So... Give me North Carolina to win, but I think Georgia Tech's going to cover. I think this is going to be a weird, weird game to keep an eye on. So give me North Carolina 42, Georgia Tech 38. Oh, wow. I think uh, I, I tend to think North Carolina bounces back. I think we know Georgia Tech, this is not this is not really a home field advantage as far as college football goes. Like, I, I think North Carolina bounces back because I think they're better than the team they showed last week. Um, give me, what is it? Is it 11, 11 and a half? What was, what, was mm-hmm. the, what was the spread we said there? Give me them North Carolina by two touchdowns. Give me like 38-24. All right. And our last one of the night, we got the Clemson Tigers. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. This was a primetime, big-time, top-ten matchup not too long ago, Matt Green. Yeah, seriously. And the NC State Wolfpack is a – what is the line here? I just had it up, and now I've lost it. It is 10. 
Um, NC State's a 10-point dog in this one. How do, you, how do you see this game going? I'll let you go first. Ten's too many points on the road for Clemson at NC State. They're getting way too much respect on the road. Uh, and NC State's a sneaky, tough place to play. I think a lot of people forget that. that NC State's actually tough, and Clemson's had a lot of problems playing at NC State over the years. Um, I understand things have been rocky offensively for uh, NC State. It didn't really work out with Brandon Armstrong this year. They're still trying to figure things out with MJ Morris. But I think, by and large, this is going to be a fascinating game. Clemson season's over. Four and three? At this point in the year, who had four and three for Clemson? We had them, I think, both in the playoff before this year yeah. uh, got started. They're out. Like, that's long gone. I don't know what to do with this Clemson team. Like, they cannot fall to four and four. What happens if they're sitting at four and four, Matt Green, uh, at this point in the year? Does Dabo do a Steve Spurrier? Are we on the verge of Dabo just retiring in the middle of the year and just being <laughs> like, hey, I just I can't reach these kids anymore. I'm out. Like, that's on the table. Like, I, nothing would surprise me about this Clemson team right now. I just, I don't think we're taking into account how absurd it is that NC State Clemson doesn't matter. And that NC State could absolutely win this football game based on what we've seen from Clemson to this point. So I'm still going to take Clemson to win because you can't be 4-4 four and four if you're Clemson at this point with this much talent and the way NC State's offense has worked. But I think NC State's got to cover. And I think this is going to be another ugly, ugly offensive showing on both sides. And I think you're looking at like, Give me Clemson 20, NC State 17. Yeah, I think I'm kind of with you because you look at you look at what Clemson's done this year. Like they, they they obviously got blown out by Duke and a game that was closer than the scoreboard looked. Lost to Florida State in a game they honestly should have won. Lost to Miami last week in a game they definitely could have won. It, like, I don't want to overreact. But at the same time, like you had the ugly win over Wake Forest that you didn't look particularly impressive. Like this Cade Klubnik stuff now, like I feel like that's kind of a red flag. Like for one, it feels like kind of a red flag for Dabo to tell the media, like, yeah, this was supposed to be a run play and he just decided to keep it. That kind of feels like a red flag. And then Cade Klubnik's like, yeah, I, I just, I saw something and I like kept it. It's like, did you, did you see something or were you, were you just trying to play hero ball? You know, like, I don't, I don't know what to do with Clemson, but I, I think I'm with, and you look at NC state on the other side, like the only teams they've lost to are Duke, Notre Dame and Louisville. Like those are th two of the best teams in the ACC. I almost called Notre Dame an ACC team because they, they're a half ACC team, but the, the, they've lost to, they have the quote unquote good losses, even if they got blown out by Notre Dame and Duke. So I, I kind of struggle with this, and I'm with you. I think NC State is kind of a, a, a sneaky, low-key, uh, tough place to play, as Chase Thomas would say. Um, mm -hmm. But I think I, at the end, I have to take Clemson to win. I just The two, the 10 points is too many. I, I want to take NC State, but um, I'm going to take Clemson to, to get out of there. Give me like... 24 23 or something i don't know i think this is uh this could be real a real dangerous game for clemson i am very excited to see what uh what this looks like over the next couple of weeks uh, with the acc because florida states look very beatable the pac-12 looks like they're kind of they're just banking on uh washington to keep things rolling depending on how oregon goes i just they can get messy. Like we could be looking at like two SEC teams and two Big Ten teams sooner rather than later, based on how this uh, thing's unfolding. Or I was, Oklahoma just sliding right in the ACC and Pac-12 both being left out. So I don't know. 
Yeah, I think the the Pac-12 could definitely cannibalize itself. But like, I was I was listening to, to Chuck and Chernoff uh, earlier this week on 680, and they were talking about the Falcons. I don't know, whatever. Um, like being a, a must win game coming up, and it was like it's not a must win, but it's a it's a can't lose, and it's like it's obviously the same thing. You're saying the same thing, but um, if you're not gonna win, you're gonna lose. But you look at Clemson, it's like it, it might not feel like a must win this NC State game, but it, it definitely feels like a can't lose game. Because if you lose this game and you go four and four, like a bowl game is legitimately like on the table. Like missing a bowl game is on the table with Notre Dame, North Carolina, and out at South Carolina still. To, I mean, I did skim over the Georgia Tech game too, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't at this I wouldn't I can't rule anything out if they drop this game to NC State. I mean, this this is one to watch, folks. Keep an eye on the ACC this weekend because there's not a lot of big time action. Keep an eye on North Carolina and Clemson over the weekend. That's what I'll say. I think both these two games, the reason we wanted to cover them here on this program is I think both have potential to be rather silly and uh, potentially huge implications for both of the, the good teams, quote unquote good teams in this matchup. Yeah, I mean North Carolina, they're still trying to win an ACC championship. They mm. uh they need a they need a bounce back for sure. And you're staring over here and you're like, what am I getting out of Georgia Tech? Like, how do you even prepare for this? Like, I have no idea what we're getting from the Jackets week to week. Um, Matt Green, always a pleasure. We uh wrap up week nine season, man. Just moving on through. Hold on, one last thing. Um, mm. we didn't talk about the Jim Harbaugh cheating stuff. And I think we, we're obviously we're deep in the conversation. We can't go too deep. But uh, what is your overall thoughts on the Jim Harp? If you don't have a take, I can give you my thoughts. But what, you, what is your thoughts when you just when you've heard about everything that's coming forward now? I mean, I just think it's over the top. But I think a lot of schools are doing it. I think Bud Elliott made a good point about this in the cover. Three. It's like, have you noticed that no one's like going scorched earth against Jim Harbaugh and uh, the college football ranks, the coaching ranks? I think we just seen this. It's like it's kind of like Spygate, kind of like how these ones where it's like people are like, "Oh, this is the operation that was built on." I'm like, New England was still going to win all those games with or without uh, Spygate. Like this is just one of those things where all these coaches are just so hyper competitive that they're just like these are just insane stories that are I'm sure not just happening in Michigan. Michigan obviously getting caught here, and I don't know how this is going to work um, for the Wolverines over the, the foreseeable future. It seems like this is no matter what looking like the end of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan after this year with an NFL job, probably, uh, in this future, but like Michigan still dominating week over week, uh, year over year, um, with or without this stuff, it seems like. And also like the video evidence where it's like, Oh, the, the stuff on the side of the field, against the Ohio state. And it's like, Ohio state scored a touchdown on that drive. Like it's just so over the top that it's like it's embarrassing i think is what i would say about for michigan where it's just you don't need to do this like that's part of it it's like you just don't need to do all this uh if you're michigan because you're going to win a lot of these games you don't need to over scout rutgers you don't need to over scout uh, and pay for whatever like all this but who's to say allegedly... what they need to do who's to say yeah. how many games the pa- those patriots teams win if they're not cheating right like I mean, probably a lot i mean but who knows the the margin for error is so small in the nfl my biggest thing is I think you're, I, I kind of agree with you in terms of it feels like if all, if coaches were actually outraged about this, mm. like then it might be more something like it's like the MLB Players Association with the with the Astros. They're just used to to getting the players back. So they're like, oh, yeah, let's give full immunity to all these Astro players. Mm. And the rest of the players are like, what the hell are you doing? These guys cheated They They were pissed by, about it. And that yeah. said how serious 
that cheating was that the rest of baseball was just absolutely outraged by it. But it's interesting to me how like kind of quick that narrative has shifted of just like, what rule is it even like th- this is this is, doesn't even matter. Everyone's doing it. And it's like Dion's like you still got to go face up and like it like it's different in baseball. I think Dion made that point where he was like, it's different when you know a curveball's coming as a professional baseball player because you're just going to smack the cut like that changes the games. And that's like that's a big deal. You can know that Michigan's going to or that uh, they're going to do something. But like when they can out talent you and they can out physical you. It doesn't really matter as much in football as it does in baseball. Is uh, and I'm paraphrasing what Dion said, but it just that kind of speaks to what we're saying here. It's just I, the fact that college football coaches all around the country aren't just like, oh, what's happening? But it is yeah. still a rule, right? Like you're not oh, yeah. allowed to have a scout in person videoing games. Like that is an NCAA rule that they oh, for did sure. break. So. I remember like the Shikari Richardson thing a couple years ago, right? The mm-hmm. Olympic sprinter who was smoking weed and failed a drug test and got suspended from the Olympic team. You know, my first thought when I heard it was like, why are we drug testing Olympic sprinters for weed? Like, who cares if they're smoking weed, right? It's not even a performance enhancer. But at the same time, it's against the rules and she was suspended. Like, that's the rules. So it's like, it's interesting how many people are like, oh, everybody's doing this, no big deal. It's like, well, clearly everybody's not doing what Michigan is actually doing because like this is a big deal. So, I mean, and if everyone's doing I mean, it, it's then it's not everybody, punishing. but there are more than I think a lot of college football fans would like to believe. I mean, that's possible, but it's like, if you're breaking rules, like, and you're legit cheating, I feel like you have to do something like there's gotta be some sort of punishment for this. Like, I feel like, um, like you're talking about the cover three, I think Tom Fernelli like nailed it that like, Fans are definitely going to be disappointed with 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 the uh, punishment because what did the Patriots get? It was some sort of fine and like losing a first round pick, which is like the thirty second pick overall. It's like okay, they just won a freaking Super Bowl. Like I don't care that they won the national title this year. And so okay, they they lose two scholarships. Now the betting favorite now. Yeah, they lose a couple scholarships over a couple of years. Like yeah, I think most teams would trade a national championship for that. Yeah. I think you're not going to see a bowl ban. You're not going to see any sort of vacated wins. So it's, I'm, I'm skeptical. I think it's just of, more like, embarrassing than anything. Like I said, like the 600 page manifesto that's now rumored out there. Like, <laughs> I think it's just all embarrassing to me. Like all of this is just embarrassing. Not like, uh, whoa, what are they doing? This is the worst thing ever for the sport. That's my what's take. what's I feel like is kind of plausible deniability is kind of like how they like they always, we always say like oh the cover-up is always worse than the crime it's like oh they're just venmoing each other and they're just like buying tickets with his own credit card it's like that almost makes it seem like oh i didn't i didn't know i couldn't do that like oh like we're just doing i'm just going to games like i mean he did get a, a ticket on both sides of the ohio state and penn state and then those those seats oh didn't God. get used right so I don't know. It's a crazy story, but uh, yeah, it's. I feel like in the end, they're just. It's the punishment is not going to be what what fans want it to be. No, but hey, we'll see what happens. And I think there's just new things, new nuggets uh, popping up on this story each and every day. So we'll see what it looks like when we reconvene. On yeah, Sunday meant night. to throw that in there earlier, but uh, I feel like we had to. We had to say our piece on that. It's okay. We'll it, we'll see how it goes, and I, I don't think that story's over. Uh, Matt Green, always a pleasure. I'll talk to you in a couple days. Yes, sir.
Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.